Hello, boys and ghouls. This hour of podcasting is not for the faint of heart or the weak of stomach. Because our topic for this month is the evil dead. We'll follow this frightening franchise from its humble beginnings in a small cabin, through its slapstick-heavy sequels, to its blood-soaked remake. So, join us, and give a big hand for our 25th episode, all about the evil dead. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill you. The undead. You ever talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! Regulate voice, or are you just mentioning differences between boys and girls? Boys and girls. Okay. Because I really don't know what the Adam's apple does. Nor do but, I. But I do seem bassier than you. So you like, are bassier. You yeah. just been Marshall. That's that's where bass comes from. <laughs> I don't know. You never took voice classes. <laughs> Let's us um, gab first. Great. Hey. Hey, Marshall. Do you have any horror gab? Horror-related gab? There... My horror-related gab is really just experiential, which is that I experienced some EVP that I just played for you before we hopped on air. Yeah. If you are a regular listener of Boys and Ghouls, you know that I started another podcast, Carry On, the Sex and City podcast. Marshall was on an episode of it. Um, we usually save plugs for the end of yeah, the Yeah, we do, now. we do, but this is relevant. <laughs> anyway, myself and Alec, my co-host, we were recording with our friend Daniel, and Alec had headphones on to be testing the, just to make sure the sound was okay, and something really messed up happened and we I can't stop listening to it and I played I, I recorded it onto my phone and played it for you just now and it, it's really petrifying because it's kind of it warps his voice but like it sort of skips it but then it garbles and there's no real reason why it seems like it should have done that you know you're more of a student of the paranormal than myself mm-hmm were there any other uh, factors? Did the room become cold? No, nothing like Did that. Did you experience? I don't. I don't know. What, what are the, some of the other signs? Uh, of, of a yeah, you know, hair haunting. standing up on the back of your neck, feeling nauseated. All those things have happened to me, strange, by the way. Strange, strange smells. smells. Yeah. No, nothing else. Just that. So, I don't know, you guys. All right. Ghosts uh, maybe, of Koreatown. Yeah, I'll keep you updated if I start coughing up flies or peeing myself in front of a party of... If, if you're at a Georgetown cocktail party <laughs> yeah. and decide to wet yourself. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Um, that's really kind of... I mean, I've been watching horror movies and pretty much the last three weeks of my life, I've just been eating, breathing, sleeping, reading, watching, listening to nothing but Evil Dead. So mm-hmm. there's that. Last Sunday, I went right down the road to Monster Palooza. Yeah, go on. And, um, well, hold on. I got a program from it, I think, like, behind you. Let me Let me... Here we are. Ooh, spooky. Um, you're, you're flipping through the uh, the book now. You see all the different people that yeah, were, were there. Yeah, it's, it's monsterific. 
uh, different sci-fi horror icons. Yeah. Tippi Hedren was there. What? Yep. That's and I awesome. was gonna get a gonna get an autographed picture, but she was like taking a little break, mm-hmm. and then I went and spent my money on other stuff. Understood. So, okay, so I got these two DVDs. One of them is the bootleggiest of bootlegs. Like the the disc doesn't even have anything on it, huh. and it's called the Milpitas Monster, uh-huh. um, which I never heard of. But starring Bob Wilkins, host of TV's Creature Features. Yes, Bob Wilkins uh, hosted up in San Francisco, and he is the uh, the originator of the uh, Watch Horror Films Keep America Strong slogan. Aww. So. That's awesome. The other one is something that I've actually recommended people get on a different podcast, if you remember when I went on Geektastic. I do. And I told people, if you're throwing a Halloween party and you want to know, like, what do you put on the TV? Yeah. But then you put something on. And then you get whatever misanthropes you may have invited will just sort of plant themselves in the front of the TV. And then the party gets going. Now they're watching a horror movie, but it's too loud. They can't even hear it. Yes. So one, if you're just going to do that, put on the subtitles. Sure. Or get yourself one of the DVDs that's available that's all just horror grindhouse trailers. Uh, Among them, 42nd Street Forever. So you pop that in. You got two hours plus of just horror trailers from like wow. the 60s and 70s and wow sometimes you can find things like this on netflix i dismember mama blood spattered bride we've talked about those films on the podcast mm-hmm. this is so cool so you heard it here first or second if you listen to geektastic over two full hours of blood gore sex and action all right. all right all the best bits that's really fun and coming soon to a wall near you maybe that one or that one i see some wall space I picked up this uh, this poster. It's a print of an ad from the back of comic books. Huh. Where if you send away, you get a free giant life-size moon monster. Oh, wow. If you uh, become a member of the Monster Fan Club. Membership fee, $1. From about 1971, if you send this off to uh, Union City, New Jersey, you'll get back this uh, plastic moon monster picture. Now, in uh, the book, which is now being used to hold up this microphone so we can't uh-huh. read it, uh, it said what like you really got. Which is, for one, the membership to the uh, the Monster Fan Club actually says Horror Fan Club. Oh. So they couldn't even get that right. Whoops. The masks that you supposedly get, the extra bonus extra masks. Extra bonus three monster masks. Are like Xerox pictures of like Don Post monster masks. But but this description says they are terrifying, lifelike reproductions of movie monsters. They're ghastly. They're frightening. Technically not incorrect. Oh. And you do get, a, I think, a couple pieces of plastic with a moon monster on it. Wow. Yeah. And uh, once I get a frame, this will go on my wall. That's really cool. I have seen the dark shadows moving in the woods, and I have no doubt that whatever I have resurrected is sure to come calling for me. It was the woods themselves. They're alive. Evil dead. They got up on the wrong side of the grave. Evil Dead from New Line Cinema. Hey everybody, I'm Marshall Hicks. And I'm Kat Knipe. And you're listening to Boys and Ghouls podcast, episode 25. And this Congratulations. That's another milestone. To you and I and all of our listeners. <laughs> and this episode, we are dedicating to the Evil Dead films. That's the original three and the remake. Marshall, I want to know, when did you first see any of the Evil Dead films? 
think well, this is very important. Okay. I saw uh, Army of Darkness in the theater. Wow. And by then, I was already like the movie guy among my friends. Mm-hmm. But they had all gone off without me and watched and loved Evil Dead 2, which only perturbed me more because they were like, Evil Dead 2, Evil Dead 2. And they don't even mention having seen Evil Dead 1, which I don't think they did. Right. I didn't realize it was a standalone movie. I thought that they, without me, watched Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Because and... why would someone watch a part two without watching part one? And then unanimously chose to triumph the second one. And then ads for Army of Darkness started up. So they were like, I don't know, guys. It looks like Evil Dead 2 because of the chainsaw and the actor and all these other things. But they, they could never be 100% sure because it wasn't called Evil Dead 3. It was mm-hmm. called Army of Darkness. Yes. So I went with them to see that. So my introduction to the whole whole everything was just from that little recap in the beginning of Army of Darkness. Right. Let me know, like, oh, look, looks like Bridget Fonda was in these movies. Uh, she wasn't. And um, we can start there for trivia. Bridget Fonda was in Army of Darkness. She requested the role. As the third Linda. Mm-hmm. She was like, hey, I'm a fan of the series. Can I get a little part? And they were like, Sure. As Bruce Campbell says in If Chins Could Kill, his autobiography, when Bridget Fonda asks, you just say, sure, why not? It's Bridget Fonda. For my part, my exposure to Evil Dead started when I was about 16 because of watching and being obsessed with Donnie Darko. And in Donnie Darko, he goes and watches Evil Dead, the first one, Uh in the movie theater. That's right. And that part of Donnie Darko is really, really intense. The music is really dark and things are really, they're Mm -hmm. rolling along. And there's the shot of the porch swing knocking against the side of the house in Evil Dead. And there's a shot of the clock. And I feel like the shot of the car. Yeah, there's no shots of actors, I don't think. No. Why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? that I was really obsessed with Donnie Darko and therefore assumed that Evil Dead had something to do with time travel because Donnie Darko at the the, end of the day yeah because and there's the shot of the clock and you know I I just assumed Evil Dead was this like really Mm. deep layered horror film okay so there was that and then there was the entire conversation in High Fidelity where Jack Black and John Cusack are talking all right but let's just say that I hadn't seen it and I said to you I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet what would you think I think that you're a cinematic idiot, and I feel sorry for you. All right. So those two movies conspired mm-hmm. together to get me really super interested in Evil Dead uh, in the series. And um, I know my brother and I, I, I guess he had probably seen Evil Dead before that. He's older than me. But we rented b- both Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 on VHS. Uh, uh-huh. And Army of Darkness. So when I was 16, 17, that's when I saw... Wait. In the same night? All of them. No, I have no way to remember that. I have no idea. That would have been in the night your brain exploded. Yeah, it would have been. But I don't know. Probably not. So yeah, I was a teenager. I think a really ripe, wonderful age to discover those movies. It is entitled Naturan de Manto, roughly translated Book of the Dead. The book is bound in human flesh and inked in human blood. So in general, the Evil Dead franchise, except for Army of Darkness, but the other films involve... The first two, one and two. One and two, and the reboot, for that matter, yeah. involve 
a group of people who go to a remote cabin. They discover an ancient book full of foreboding languages and all kinds of things. And they conjure demons and one by one they become possessed and just violence and chaos ensue in various forms. That's basically, it's super simple in that sense. And uh, why do people love it, do you think? Those that do, or is that the kind of question it takes an hour to answer? I don't know. It's just, I think for me, especially in one and two, in Army of Darkness, there's a bigger budget. And I guess for me, there is a glee to the horror. There's a glee to the humor. There's a feeling that comes off of these movies that is just pure enjoyment. You bastards. Why are you torturing me like this? Why? I'm speaking in general terms, but I'm just trying to figure out what it is I love. And I think it's the enthusiasm and the glee and just the love of the art of making the films that transcends yeah, even it even goes to the 13 million dollar army of darkness. You know, it goes there, too. That's, that's a big part of it. It's like you're watching two movies. Mm-hmm. You're watching what's happening on the screen and then you're watching the ingenuity of the filmmakers and everything they had to do in order to like get a shot. And sometimes when there's something you know really hokey, like there's a bad head that's clearly just some dummy head mm-hmm. that's not scary at all. It only um, improves the stuff that they really got right. Mm-hmm. Like when someone is floating. And oh, sure. It's what, what were the years of these films? I mean, I know they started the first one filming it in 79, but it didn't get released yeah. until. The official premiere was like 1981, but there wasn't a huge wide release for the first Evil Dead until 83. It was about 83. So if, just for somebody floating like that in a cabin that you know, yeah. the fact that. You're this... talking about Cheryl, right? Cheryl, yeah. Uh-huh. The, fact the character that they Cheryl the... floating at first when she, you know, she's called out the, the cards and she stands up and. Wah! To know that the dummy head that we see is the best dummy head that they could come up with. That's right. That they also managed to pull off a great floating woman (laughs) and make it completely scary and effective. Yes. So it's like the good stuff works because it's good. The cheesy stuff works because it's cheesy and it just makes the good stuff even better. So you're just guessing at, at what the filmmakers had to go through. Or you listen to some commentaries and read Bruce Campbell's book and watch some old interviews on YouTube and get a better idea for what they went through. Yep. Please, boys, control yourselves. You hit a man with glasses, would you? The essential story of Raimi and Rob Tappert and Bruce Campbell is that they were friends and they had a mutual appreciation for comedy and for film. And they started making tiny movies together. Horror came when they were trying to realize what, what would sell. Yeah. And at the time, horror sold, and it would sell to drive-ins. Because drive-ins mm-hmm. in 79 still constituted a lot of the market. And they visited drive-ins just to observe the reactions of people watching the films. And in the book, Bruce Campbell talks about they determined that the moment you cut the pace when things slow down when you don't have something sexy or scary or violent whatever going on mm-hmm. uh, the audiences they were throwing things at the they screen honking. honking their horns w- turning on their brights so you couldn't see the screen and then they they realized their tagline would then have to be the gore the merrier it's hmm. gotta be it's gotta be hard hitting and it's got to be relentless <laughs> For me, what sticks after doing a lot of research 
on the first film and even the second is how incredibly organic the entire process was and how truly just blood, sweat, and tears went into getting the movie made and how everyone was learning as they went along. And I think so much of that just comes through in the film. And had they had the money, because the Steadicam was around, had they had the money to mm-hmm. get a Steadicam, I don't think it would have felt quite the same. I, I think sometimes necessity a lot of the is the mother that of we invention. Loved uh-huh. Exactly. Came out of the fact that they didn't have much money. I mean, yeah, and just knowing that they decided when they were gonna go try to pitch to potential investors, they had to have suits and suitcases. Yeah. Su- suits and briefcases. And all you know? these and guys ranged in age from just like eighteen to twenty two. Yeah. And they said, Well, let's make you know, let's make a movie. They were in college, all yeah. three of them, and said, You know what's better than this? Making our own movie. And they went horrendously over schedule. It was freezing cold. I mean, just all the barriers, all the things that would have made lesser folk just go, give up. yeah, this is, uh, we can't do this. Let's just turn it into a short or something and try something else. I felt under great pressure. And it was not artistic pressure. It was all financial pressure because there were no expectations on me as a kid. It was all a question of, I have... of these people's money who I promised I would make a good movie out of. This has got to be good. Their principal photography on Evil Dead 1, yeah, went over and most of the actors left. Yep. Until they were just left with producer and actor Bruce Campbell. Mm -hmm. And local actors who fake shimped for them. (laughs) Yes, including Ted Raimi. Including Ted Raimi. Younger brother of Mm -hmm. uh, Sam Raimi. Including Bruce Campbell's brother... Don, I think. Came out for a bit. Yeah. But really, of the main cast, what they had left was Bruce. Mm-hmm. And Bruce was in it for the long haul. His own money was in this. Yep. His time was in he was it. He co-producing. He was hauling lights. Like, he wasn't just acting yeah. in this and, first and his, film. And his name was on the line, as far as, like, the investors go. He, mm-hmm. was, he was part of the whole package. So, once he was the only one left, he was also the only one left in the story. He's the survivor. So yeah. he has more scenes alone after a certain point. And when it's just him and Raimi and Tappard and whatever couple people, like the, the bulk of the crew is gone. Yeah. That's when they took on the really imaginative shots. Mm-hmm. That's when they started filming everything at like a 45 degree angle to get a little weird. That's when they Sam would Sam Raimi's hanging from the ceiling upside down from his legs. Yeah, to, yeah. to get that overhead shot. Yep. when you would get the under underneath shots. Because the movie starts, one, during the daytime. And all the daytime shots don't look any different, really, than almost any other 70s movie. No. You know? Yeah. You got the lightweight camera. You got the so-so sound. You got the people in their 70s car. And they're just yakking about whatever. But then as it builds... It becomes a little crazier and then a little crazier. And then people start dying. And when you're left with just Bruce Campbell versus special effects, mm-hmm. that's when it's crazy yeah. and remains so till the end of the movie. When you've got stop motion animation and, and all kinds of goop. What they really had at that point was time because they didn't have um, anyone else's schedule. Mm-hmm. To work around the other actors. It wasn't like, hurry up while we still have this actress and hurry up while we still have this actress. Everyone was gone. Yeah. They, they'd lost everybody. And now it's just time to take what shots they had left and just spend a long time on it and get it right. Mm-hmm. Stephen King, author of Carrie, said, Evil Dead is the most ferociously original horror film of the year. If you think he's kidding, see for yourself. We should give 
a shout out to the king for what he did for Evil Dead. Stephen and King. And the king, of course, I'm talking about is Stephen King. Well, they were uh, shopping the film around, not having any luck with distributors. They took it to uh, to Cannes Film Festival. They did, in 1982. Wherein uh, Stephen King saw it and wrote a glowing review mm-hmm. of it for uh, Twilight Zone magazine. He said it was the most ferociously original horror film of the year. And they said, please, please, Mr. King, can we put that on all our promotional posters? And he was yeah. like, all right. And I, hearing that tidbit makes me almost hurt to think about what might have happened or rather not happened with Evil Dead had it not been for that moment. Now, for part two, Stephen King steps up again. He did. He talked to Dino De Laurentiis. Yeah, they're, they're trying to find... Uh, again. F- funding again. Such a wild... Again, such a wild coincidence because they were trying to drum up the funding because they'd made Crime Wave and it was a disaster. Bruce Campbell says, you know, we had to learn how to fail. He's like, that was our movie that was a total mess. But after that, they realized that if they were going to want to continue their careers and move forward, that they might need to actually do a sequel to Evil Dead, which Raimi, all of them had um, resisted up until that point. But then they go, okay, we might need to do this, but we're having trouble with the financing. And then someone affiliated with them happened to be on on the Maximum Overdrive Overdrive set with Stephen King at like lunch or something. That's what people talk. And happened to mention, oh yeah, I'm working with these guys and they're trying to fund Evil Dead 2. Stephen King's like, hmm, pick up the phone. I'm Stephen King. Dear De Laurentiis. Stephen King, what do you want? And the rest is history. (laughs) That's wild to me. It's just, it's amazing how one or two little things can make or break. And both of them coming from Stephen King. Both of them coming from the master. Love of my life. Hail to the king, baby. And let's take a broad view for a second. A gist of the character of Ash. Sure. Who progresses through all three films and is a way different character by part three than how he started in part one and kind of how he got there, which is uh, he starts, I want to stress, as not the obvious hero of the movie. You know, He's kind of the wimp who does nothing. Well, one, you can't get away from those looks. He's just no. got heroic looks. Which is why Sam Raimi busts his balls at every turn, I think. Yeah. But more than that, we go back watching this knowing that's Bruce Campbell and a car full of people we've never heard of. That's right. You know? Yeah, that's a really good point. So we're, we're kind of biased going into it. But if you were just like, oh, it's 1979. What's at the drive-in? Evil Dead. Don't mind if I do. And then you watch it. You will see that the Ash character, It start, he's in the back seat of the car. He's not mm-hmm. driving the car. When they come to the cabin, he's not the one that approaches it. It's the other guy. That's right. He's not the one who checks out the work shed for the first time. And then it's only really through the process of elimination, everyone else starts dying around him, that he doesn't even step up so much as everyone else fell down. Everyone else fell down. Most of what you see in the early action of the film is Bruce Campbell getting thrown up against doors and walls and then having like bookshelves fall down on him and being unable to get up out from under them, which, you know, Sam Raimi and Rob Tappert and Bruce Campbell laugh heartily about in the commentary where they're like, look, he's like, look at that brilliant acting I'm doing. You know, why can't I just throw the damn thing off of me? It's because... I need to just be there for another minute or two. You know, right. they love to be It is a very flimsy bookshelf once yeah. you look at it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, he sells it, I And think. in part two, he's still surviving, mm-hmm. just making it. But um, believe me, he's got a, a good fearful streak, especially once he finds out what he's been uh, trapped in the basement with. Yes. He screams like a girl very well. 
yeah, he's a screaming ninny <laughs> for a lot of it until it's time to really go. Until it's time to go down to the basement. In the first movie, he goes down for shells, and there's really nothing down there but lots and lots of blood. There's no monsters in the basement; mm-hmm. just projectors running on their own and blood. So now he goes in the basement to get the extra pages of the Necronomicon, which might be able to banish the evil. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Henrietta's down there. And well, he says before he goes down, let's carve ourselves a witch. Yeah. Now that's really the first you see of the next phase of yeah. Ash, which is full Groovy of great Ash. liners. We, yeah, Ash. that's what we love. Uh, he goes to the woodshed and they construct a chainsaw arm for him. Now One of can... the most delightful sequences yeah. ever put on film. And, Just um, click, click, his, ratchet, ratchet, turn, click, bang. Yeah. It's and crazy. his first order of business, turn into a sawed-off shotgun. <laughs> yes. And then say, Groovy. And then the next movie, he's had enough. Yes. His badassery is now only matched by his... Snarky wit. Snarky wit. Thank mm-hmm. you. That would have been... <laughs> Floundering for a while for yeah, that one. Yeah, he's an expert now in killing deadites and quite a crack shot with the uh, with the sawed off shotgun. Mm-hmm. Yo, she bitch. Let's go. But so, uh, evil while whilst Evil Dead was shot, geez, all over the place. But Morristown, Tennessee. Plus, lots of places in Michigan, the Raimi family basement, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Evil Dead 2 was shot. I believe that was the m- Tappert basement. Maybe. T- Tappert family farm in Marshall, Michigan. Whoa. Yeah, I remember that because my name's Marshall. And it? as for Morristown, Tennessee, uh, those who know me best know that I uh, wrote a horror movie. Uh, I Oh, yes. Yeah. I've seen the film and read the script. Yeah. Five Across the Eyes, the only other movie to be filmed in Morristown, Tennessee. <laughs> wow. It wasn't filmed there because Evil Dead was filmed there. It was filmed there because that's where the director lives. So that's our, our claim to fame. And so Evil Dead 2 was filmed mostly in Wadesboro, North Carolina? Not too far from where you're from. No. Did your like high school team ever play the Wadesboro fighting deadites? <laughs> I wish that were true but it, no this is again i know they had a bigger budget but it was still really fun bare bones like we got to get this film together we're renting out this old high school that's not being used right now we're going to build an entire set inside the gymnasium inside the gym. and use the rest of the high school with the classrooms as like a production company i also love that mark showstrom and, and gang all the the makeup guys they spent uh weeks and weeks prepping in south pasadena and then shipped all of the makeup stuff all the way to North Carolina and then went on their way out there. And, you know, it was it was one of those situations where they had a little bit of a bigger budget, but it, but it was still not a ton. So yeah. all the makeup guys and in fact, I think some of the cast as well, but they were staying in a house that was, all, you know, together. Yeah. Like it was like a frat house. You know that I highly encourage anyone who can get a hold of it and who cares about this sort of thing. My Evil Dead 2 DVD, there is a documentary called The Gore the Marrier that's 30 or 45 minutes, and it's comprised, God bless Greg Nicotero, because a lot of it is video footage he shot. He spent a lot of time shooting behind-the-scenes stuff. So you get a lot of that, and then you get the makeup guys being interviewed, and they talk about how 
godforsakenly hot it was and how they would yes. have to like in north carolina in yeah. the summer and i've been through many north carolina summers and how they would like dunk their bed sheets in ice water and then pull them on top of themselves and they had like drilled fans onto the bed posts at the bottom of their bed so they would have a constant flow of air and it was just that was all they could do now, misery but that's, i have such that's when they're trying to that. sleep yeah how about young ted ramey oh gosh now earning his sag card by being Henrietta. This makes me feel sick. Henrietta was, uh, for part two, the wife of the professor who left behind the recording. Yes. She became possessed. She became possessed and was buried in the basement, something we don't realize until Ash himself is in the basement. That's one of the funniest moments of Evil Dead 2 for me, when she pops up and he's just like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he realizes, yeah. And Beautiful. so in, in the Henrietta suit, under bright lights... Mm-hmm. in the school gym, mm-hmm. a building that is closed during the summer for good reason because it is crazy hot. Yeah. And he sweats so much. There's some, They pointed out in the commentary, and I, I paused it for it's my roommate last night. Disgusting. Which is the suit gets angled a certain direction, and these movies are full of gore. Mm-hmm. More in the first. For the second one, they replaced some of the heavier gore with slapstick. Mm-hmm. And then tried to uh, work with different colors and different things that weren't just blood. They'd make it green. They'd make it blue. And the first one, they still tried it by just like spitting out milk. instead. Uh-huh. Of... So you, you see like a fluid run out of a Henrietta and you don't think much about it until you realize that's not a special effect. That was Ted Ramey's sweat <laughs> built up inside of the suit and then escaping through a slit behind like the ear and just <laughs> came out. Just goes to show you, you don't have to have brains to be a plumber. <laughs> Mo, the leader. Mopish, Mowbray, Mopemouthed, Mealy, Mad, Hanking, Making the others quake, Whacking Curly on the iron pate, Backhanding Larry who wonders, Picking up a sledgehammer, Honk! and ramming it down nozzle first on the flat pan of Curly's skull. Boing! Yeah, so as you mentioned, Evil Dead 2 is full of a lot more slapstick. Not as much gore. Yeah. Replace the gore with those three stooges they love so much. In part two, inspired by stooges, is the eyeball bit where she chokes on the eyeball. Oh. It flies across the room into her mouth. That's a stooges bit. I don't know what ex- it was Probably described. wasn't an eyeball the first time. No, it wasn't. And like uh, the first one, all the blood that's coming through the plumbing. Yes. Is a gag. Then it doesn't just come through the plumbing. It comes out like electric sockets and light bulbs. And yes. Places that are non-liquid was a, uh, a nod toward a plumbing we will go. Mm-hmm. Stooges short. What would you charge to haunt a house? How many rooms? Quiet. A annotated version of part one gets knocked out in the first seven minutes of part two. Which came out, by the way, we didn't mention 1987. And then it picks up in a cabin surrounded by the forces of evil. Mm-hmm. New people come to the cabin, though for a while, it's just Ash versus his own sanity for a bit. As yeah. he is taunted yeah. by the ghost of his girlfriend, or the corpse of his girlfriend, you might say. And just the sounds of the cabin. The piano plays the song that his girlfriend liked. The deer starts laughing at him. He's driven mad. He's he's playing a game with the little lamp on the table. Yeah. They're going wah, wah, up and down. Yeah. And he's laughing maniacally. Here's... Every piece of furniture starts laughing. And still no other actors besides Bruce Campbell, his hand gets possessed. Mm-hmm. Here's where the scene where he's hysterically laughing and the entire cabin has come to life and he's yeah. laughing. it's laughing along with him. 
for me, accomplishes a tone and a horror that I don't personally, I don't think I've seen elsewhere on film. But Ash's hand is possessed. Please tell us about that. Yeah, well, it's, it's Bruce Campbell uh, carrying the movie where he fights his own hand and his hand uh, smashes plates over his head and then crawls him across the floor until his solution is chop off his own hand. Yep. And then he's fighting his dismembered hand. Oh, it's beautiful. And somewhere in those scenes, he also uh, talks to himself in the mirror and then his own image pops out of the mirror. So it's still Bruce Campbell. Talking with Bruce Campbell. <laughs> and when you go to the next movie, which is Army of Darkness, mm-hmm. and you can afford extras and other actors. And there are other actors and extras in these scenes. For a while, the cabin gets recreated in the form of the windmill that he goes and hides in when he's seeking the Necronomicon in the middle of the woods. And he gets startled by his own reflection. And then breaks a mirror, and then the, the little pieces become little versions Tiny of ash. ashes. So it's still Bruce Campbell and some stand-ins with Bruce Campbell masks versus Doing Bruce Campbell. Doing what Bruce Campbell does best, which is crazy slapstick comedy. Yeah. And then one of them goes in his mouth and starts to grow out of his shoulder, and then he's got two heads. And it's just still Bruce Campbell with a fake head. And then a whole second Bruce Campbell forms from that, and he's playing both. So yeah, for a big chunk of the movie, it's still all Bruce Campbell. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Army of Darkness, like you said, bigger budget, but they still gave us time with just Ash because Bruce Campbell is a powerhouse and it's a great opportunity to see him, you know, cough his way through the last word of an incantation he's supposed to do because even though he's in the 1300s, he's still very much a modern person. And 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 this one, for anyone um, trying to keep up with us, and we're we're jumping all over the place, you're welcome. (laughs) At the end of part two... You can banish the evil by creating like a time vortex. Yes. And sending it away. But Ash goes through it as well and winds up in the 1300s, the end. So that's where Army of Darkness picks up. He's considered eventually as like a savior, uh, as prophesized from the Necronomicon. And from there has a, a grand medieval adventure, unlike anything we'd seen before. And part of what he has to do is go and get the Necronomicon from the haunted woods. And That's the only thing he's focused on because the like yeah. magic man has told him, you get us this book, I'll get you back home. He's like, great. Oh, yeah. That's all I want is to go home and be away from you jackasses. He's got three magic words to say. Go ahead, Marshall. Klatu Verata Niktu. Yeah. And he manages to forget that last syllable. <laughs> Necktie. <laughs> I said the words. When I saw that as a teenager, I was overwhelmed with how funny that was. I couldn't believe it. Well, maybe I didn't say every single tiny little syllable, no, but basically I said them, yeah. Army of Darkness wonderfully came out just before computers took over everything as far as special effects. Mm -hmm. So what we get is actual, if it looks like a stop motion skeleton fighting somebody, which is a a wonderful throwback to 
Yes. Older films, specifically uh, Ray Harryhausen films. Yeah. Jason and the Argonauts, is that? Yeah, that's, uh-huh. a, that's a big one. Yeah, if it looks like stop motion, it, it is stop motion. Yes. If it looks like a puppet. It's a puppet. It is a puppet. Oh, it's delightful. And it's a puppet hurling snarky comments, too. Those yeah. skeletons have funny things to say. And if you don't see a wire... That's because there either wasn't a wire or they managed to make it dark, but no one went in and erased wires. Yeah. And no one went in and erased puppeteers. All puppeteers, get out of frame. Yeah. You don't belong. And I'm glad, personally, I'm glad that I got to go to the theater and see a movie that used those kinds of special effects of little men fighting a, a giant man, like Gulliver's Travels. Yeah. And fighting skeletons like The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad. Mm-hmm. And have it be not just something I was watching, but something that was relevant mm-hmm. and that we all cared about and not in a throwback kind of way. Yes. Like we were 92. I'm just going to say 15 just because that's, that's the age I actually ascribe to most of my high school memories. Mm-hmm. I was like, how sure. old were you? Yeah, 15. Yeah. I wasn't driving. Yeah. <laughs> At 15, not going like, how delightful, because this is how it used to be done, which I do plenty now watching certain right. films. But actually being in the moment and being like, Skeletons on the march! Yeah, totally. I mean, you you could tell it was a throwback, but that's not where my appreciation ended. And the fact that... Or even began. You have all these adults who are being paid to make believe and do 37, 50 takes. Like they had to do, like the scenes in the climax where Ash has five or six different skeletons he has to fight and fend off. Yeah. And hearing him talk in the book about the choreography and how he had numbers to remember. For yes. like the position of like where he had to have a sword and who he was fending off or stabbing at any given point. And the amount of work that like goes into those sequences is just... Now what they do is, I mean, I just amazing. watched an interview with uh, Samuel Jackson talking about the Star Wars movies. And yeah. it was just like, go any direction you want and we will put an enemy there uh, later. Yeah. Which cool but it makes you really appreciate more the choreography that had to go into fighting stop-motion skeletons the book tells us that each drop allows a man to sleep for a century swallow six drops and thou shall awaken in thine own time yeah i've heard about the um original ending the original ending ends with him uh, again, kind of messing up. He drinks too much potion. Yeah. It's like one drop too much. And he sleeps into the future. <laughs> and it's some kind of like post-apocalyptic future cityscape. And he, mm-hmm. it just ends with him, like in part, at the ending of part two, going, no. no. Uh, not crazy about it. I know that it sets things up well for like comic books that were to come out. Yes. And if there's to be an Army of Darkness 2 or a... Evil Dead 4, that would be a good setup. But just for a self-contained film, enjoying it in the theater, I like the theatrical ending better. Really? I liked the additional action sequence of him fighting a a deadite at a department store. Mm -hmm. Lady, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Who the hell are you? Name's Ash. Housewares. Now, just as part one led to part two, and part two led to... Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness leads into, creatively, the Hercules series and the Xena yeah. Warrior Princess series, totally. which is really the next projects tackled by Raimi. At least mm-hmm. Raimi, I don't really know 
things I don't really know much about Hercules and Xena. Well, Xena is this warrior. She goes around righting wrongs and saving people. It's all pretty sappy, but she seems to get her kicks out of it. I, I saw the occasional episode. Yeah, I Xena. saw the occasional episode Sexier. of those. Bruce Campbell directed several episodes of Hercules. 18, 18 episodes in total. In New of, Zealand. Of Hercules. Uh-huh. Which, f- further, just so the remake of Evil Dead doesn't seem like such an anomaly. Yeah. They filmed in New Zealand. In New Zealand with their Hercules Xena crews. Mia, put the gun down. Put the gun down, please. Last year, 2013, mm-hmm. you and I went together to watch uh, the remake of Evil Dead. We sure did. Which, unlike a lot of remakes done these days or reboots these days, was done with full participation by the creators. Yeah. Really, you can't do an Evil Dead remake without the permission, at least, right. of the original. Uh, I, I doubt Raimi is the sole owner of it. It's probably Ra- Raimi, Tappert, and should, Campbell together. It, yeah, that should be the case if it isn't, but I think it is. I believe it is. So, with them behind it, they sort of divided up the labor of, uh, I believe, uh, Raimi was more of getting like the, the director lined up, and Bruce Campbell was involved with casting. Mm-hmm. In fact, my favorite bit about that is that when they were casting the Mia role, Jane Levy came in and, you know, was reading and really wanted the part. And she said Bruce Campbell pulled her aside. And he's like, I want you to understand what you're in for. This is not going to be fun. This is going to be the hardest thing that's that you've ever gone through. And she's like, bring it on, you know. But Bruce Campbell was kind of like the harbinger of like, like please stop now if you don't want to yeah. undergo the biggest trial of your life. In terms of just... Hours in the makeup chair, if nothing else. Hours in the makeup chair, just the brutality of emotionally what she'd be asked to do, physically what she'd be asked to do, and, you know, long hours on set and makeup and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Bruce knows from experience. Uh Uh-huh. If anyone knows, it's Bruce. Now, something that uh, you and I both like the remake. I have lots of things to say about it. Yeah. Good. And I do like it. Because we have a podcast. (laughs) Um, One of the things I liked about it was it gets harder... And harder for modern audiences to believe that anybody would go to the woods for an extended amount of time. Yep. So why would anybody in this day and age go to a cabin in the woods? And some people have told me like, well, to drink. And it's like, you can do that in a lot better places. Right. Yeah. So why indeed? Why would anybody? Right. You know, back in 79, I could believe it more. People were more, a little more earthy back then. That's right. So why did these people in the reboot? They went out to the middle of nowhere so that one of the uh, characters could detox. Mm-hmm. She is a drug addict and is one of the character's sisters. Which, looking at um, the original Evil Dead, who's, who's the first to turn? Cheryl? Mm-hmm. Ash's sister, Cheryl. Yeah. There's one line that connects them as brother and sister. And I think it was added in post because people weren't catching on. Because mm. I didn't catch on. So the whole brother-sister angle is way stronger in the remake. Yes. Um, it's really the, the driving force through most of the more emotional parts. Mm-hmm. I know evil all too well. You do? This weekend's devoted to Mia. It's a detox weekend. She's hooked on energy shots. Oh, yeah, that's a real struggle. The difference... There are many differences between you and I, which 
makes for great podcasting, I think. But one of the differences between you and I, Marshall... You have long hair and wear glasses. <laughs> Ew! Uh, is that... I, for better, for worse, the way my brain works, I really try to just let things wash over me to the extent I'm that I'm too up some, in my own head. <laughs> well, and a lot of people, and, and maybe sometimes I need to be a little bit more cerebral while I'm watching something because there are things that don't automatically jump out at me that maybe should and that are kind of obvious. Case in point, uh, I was rewatching the film at home and I, a thought occurred to me. And here's the problem with trying to critically analyze. assess a film, yeah, or analyze a film an entire year after it came out, which is that no matter how genius you think the idea you've just had is, so I'm like, I'm going to sit down and think about this movie, and then I think about it, and I go, whoa, I just thought of this thing. But then you hit the internet, and you go, oh, this, everyone already knows this. Everyone already talked about it, which is that the film is really kind of, in some ways, in many ways, mm -hmm. a metaphor for Mia kicking her addiction to oh, the yeah. extent where I, and you're like, oh yeah, I didn't, I was just taking it at face value when I first saw the film. And and honestly, part of it was just trying to survive that film because it was really visceral and difficult for me to make it through. As you know, like I clawed at your arm like 17 times. It's a tough movie to get viscerally. You know, the effects are really, really tough. So maybe some of it was just trying to focus on like, oh my God, is it almost over? But you can really read the entire film as even Mia driving the car and see when she's in the woods and she crashes the car, she sees her, you know, evil Mia come out of the woods. And all of that stuff could be considered like a fever dream hallucination of well, like the, what's going and, on. And, and, and that's, that's what it. keeps, you know, people, the, the common sort of stand up comedian criticism of horror films is why is it when one person says that like there's a ghost in the woods, everyone else isn't like we're splitting. Right. Um, because the one person that says there's ghosts in the woods is going through withdrawal. Right. Exactly. But I always took the film, or always, you know, the one time I saw it, I yeah. just, oh, well, I mean, this is really happening. But you could envision that all of it, all the visions she's having, especially considering the fact that the, the creature attacking her and the one she sees in the mirror in the room when she's holed up and, you know, terrified yeah. and um, the abomination Mia that comes out of the ground, it's all a, a double for her. It's like... Why didn't I pay attention to that before? Because it's clearly okay, her, we, the we, demon we, we she's we trying knew. to kick off her back. You know, it's the heroine. We knew it was an actual demon. Yeah. But then continuing that, her, her problem is, you know, she can't take the pain of withdrawal. Right. So then we get the scene of, you know, she's got to face the pain. Mm. It's less about withdrawal now, more just about facing the pain. Yeah. And she's got her arm trapped under a car. Oh, oh. She can stay and die. There's a chainsaw to her right, which I guess she can't quite reach. But maybe if she put in a little extra effort, she could have chainsawed her arm off instead of ripping her Pulling, arm off. Pulling, ripping. She yeah. saved herself by going through crazy, makes me squirm pain. Yeah. To get there. And that, as much as anything else, I think is standing in for her battle with addiction and with withdrawal. Yes. Is that she's she's got to do this the hard way? Yeah. And although I, really, folks, take your loved one to a rehabilitation center and let them do it under yeah. a doctor's guidance. No kidding. I don't care if you've got a friend who is an RN. Yeah. Stay out of the woods. There's programs that can help you. Agreed. And I think 
you know, watching this a second time, because I was I was really nervous to rewatch this movie, because when we saw it, it was really traumatizing. It was billed as the most terrifying film you will ever experience. With a remake? Yeah. All and right. I can't fault, I mean, that, that was what the posters said. Sure. And I remember seeing those posters and being really intimidated, despite the fact that I've seen a lot of, like, <laughs> I've scary seen a lot movies. of posters say that. Yeah, of course, but... The trailer, do you remember, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I saw the trailer, the Red Band trailer for, for the remake, I was completely, like, terrified. When she yes, cuts her own tongue. Yes, the tongue thing. Which, All by the way, it. watching uh, part one over, there's a bit where she licks the knife. There is. Side, 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 sidebar. That knife doesn't seem to have any powers, which part of me thought it would, because it seems because to be made of too. bone. Actually, because of uh, Jason Goes to Hell. Oh, yeah. And Jason Goes to Hell, it's Which got... Which the Necronomicon appears in. Yeah, and the, the same knife is in it, and it's the only thing that can kill Jason. Oh, sure. Apparently. Then, when I watch Evil Dead 1 and 2, oh, it's a knife. Yeah. And it does a knife's job. Many fall beneath this knife. But it does not, in itself, hold any powers. Right. It's just, you know, the ne- Necronomicon's sharp friend. Yeah. So we wanted to make it without stopping. We wanted to have the effects actually be special. We wanted to have actors who had more experience than we did first time out. And we figured if you combine all that with a good script and a good story, a new crazy director, like actually crisp, sharp photography, and you can't tell how things are done, that it actually might be scarier. I don't think we're in a place where an Evil Dead film could have been made in 2013 that was like... Evil Dead or even Evil Dead 2. Like that same sensibility. I think it I think it was a very 2013 film and I think that it definitely has its flaws, but I I for one accept it accept with an A into the canon of Evil Dead wholeheartedly. Like I don't think I don't think it I find it as a nice out. companion piece. Sure. All the men in my life keep getting killed by Candarian demons. All the men in your life keep getting killed by Candarian demons. Rewatching all of these movies, reading the book, which I cannot recommend enough if you're a fan of film in general, but especially horror film. If Chins um, Could Kill. If Chins Could Kill. It gives you such great insight into the world of movie making and low budget horror movie making and brings a real joy to it. But revisiting all of this gave me such a greater appreciation for the franchise. And I'm so happy that it's being kept alive. And no matter how you feel about the new film, I'm hoping that means that people who saw the new film will go back and watch the older stuff and go, whoa, I haven't seen this before. This is amazing. I think Evil Dead 2, more than any of the other ones, uh, more than any of the other two original three really can appeal to any like I don't I don't know even 20 years 30 years from now it's gonna be a fun movie to sit down and watch my perspective when it comes to remakes and reboots and even song covers is thus if the original material is as awesome as you think it is then these remakes can only serve to bring people back to that it's gonna drive traffic I'll say Army of Darkness led me to Evil Dead 1 and 2 yeah uh, part of me wishes I had managed to see them in order, but uh, I, I didn't get that privilege. I think you still appreciate them just oh, as much as you totally. might Totally, and, and I appreciate them in, in different ways. And like you were saying, I didn't have to just see it in the theater. I got commentaries to let me know, like, who are these people behind these movies? Who's Sam Raimi? You know, that's just a name I saw before Darkman. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting to know him as a 
artist is only fun. The more things I see him involved with and, and so on, just the, the more I like it. Yeah. The more I like him. And as far as my defining moment with Sam Raimi, just sort of like, I like this guy. Yeah. Was in, um, th- there's a, an Ed Wood documentary, uh, Flying Saucers Over Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he's one of the people they go to for um, just as, as fans. Apparently, Tor Johnson went on You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx and really just couldn't keep up with Groucho. And in that documentary, we don't see the footage of that. But we do see Raimi and another guy going back and forth and doing it with each other. Wow. Who are you, Khrushchev? Tor Johnson. You Tor Johnson? Well, why? Did you get angry at him? Nope. It's a Swedish name. Tor Johnson is a Swedish name. Oh, Tor Johnson. See, I can't say Johnson. And I'm just like, if I can't watch their movies, I'd like to hang out with them. Mm-hmm. And watching the, these movies is almost like doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so well this, said. That's as good a point as I'm going to make. Absolutely. No, that's great. So uh, you say you're Japanese, Tor? No, I'm Swedish. Mm-hmm. And what part of Japan are you from? Stockholm. Stockholm is in Japan? Stockholm is in Sweden, oh, really? not in Japan. Uh-huh. I always thought Stockholm... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you know that I was personally rejected by Sam Raimi? What? Yeah. This was when um, Spider-Man 2 was in post, and I got a call from Central Casting that said, uh, we need someone for some body double work for Spider-Man 2. And I'm just like, I'm going to be Spider-Man! To come in, not, I didn't have the job, but it was to come in for a paid interview, and it was for Dr. Octopus. Ah. I'm the, about the same height as Doc Ock. Got it. Me and like 10 other guys that all kind of looked like Alfred Molina mm-hmm. from behind. Mm-hmm. We got together at a Sony Studios, and then we were all led outside of a posting facility. And then Sam Raimi came out. What? And I was like, "Hey guys, you're all here to be the back of a uh, Doc Ock's head." So uh, I forget who gave us the instruction, but it was like the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. We all had to just face a wall. Oh boy! Just line up facing the wall, mm-hmm. and he walked behind us like a little general <gasps> with a photo of Alfred Molina from behind and then uh i'd had my hair cut recently and he reached up and like tapped me and he went uh step out of line your hair's too short and i was just like he touched me wow awesome that's pretty cool yeah believe me when i went home that christmas it's like what have you been up to personally rejected by sam <laughs> Raimi. how was your year oh boy yeah and the guy they picked really did look like him from behind they brought out the doc Ock trench coat and had him try it on it's pretty nice Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. So there and you, you got go. paid for that. I did, and I got a SAG voucher, of all things. Wow. Fascinating. episode has been a long time in the making in that a few months ago we decided to hold a contest two episodes ago was announced one episode ago we drew the name out of our pumpkin and the name was oh mike powery mike powery mm-hmm. hey mike hello mike powery Hope we did you proud Hope it was everything you expected we asked people to tell us what our 25th episode will be. Mm-hmm. And it was Mike Powery's name that we drew out. Yeah. And when we first mentioned this, I just sort of casually said, oh, 
let's give him kind of a, a grab bag, a prize uh, yeah. bag here. And then we, we also said, it'll be things we find around our Yeah, party. yeah. So before you came over, I threw this together. Whoa. This. This uh, well, I got I to gotta go picking around my apartment too then. Yep, this is the drawstring bag uh, that I was handed as soon as I walked into Monster Palooza by cool. the, um, the School of Professional Makeup. That's awesome. But the bag is now got in it the devil horn makeup <laughs> unopened you can nice. he can uh, glue those devil horns to his head and That's uh, great. blend with the makeup sponge that is included it's beautiful i have here the uh glow in the dark Ooh. halloween wands ah. <gasps> a pair of vampire wax lips oh that is classic one packet of kool-aid Ghoulade. Ooh, scary blackberry flavor. Yep. Tissues that say boo. Uh-huh. Most of these I got the day after Halloween. Amazing. W within a few days after Halloween when everything was on sale. That's awesome. And I went and printed out some photos of you and I, Kat. So, what? Uh, we'll, we'll pick one out. Oh, also a, um, a little rubber spider. <gasps> Ooh. Oh, it's a little popper, too. It's one of those you press down and then it goes... Yeah. Yeah. That's so really uh, we'll, we'll pick out a, a photo of ours and we'll autograph it for him. Oh, my God. And say, here's your prize. He's actually like a supervisor to me at our teeny tiny business we both work at. So I'll hand him my autographed picture and he'll go, great, go get back to, to, to work. work. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, folks, while uh, Mike's getting a bag full of odds and ends. Yeah. Plus a couple. Of, I'll throw in some surprises from my place, too. He also get and you also got. What was hopefully a, uh, a fine 25th episode. We hope so. On our part. If you want to uh, contact us, boysandghouls at gmail.com. It's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Please follow us on Facebook, uh, as well as uh, Pinterest and Instagram. And we're here and there on the internet. And Twitter, at boysandghouls. We'll tweet back at you. It's a thing that Do happens. It. I got my eye on the Twitter account all the time. And Marshall's constantly posting really fun stuff. One of the main reasons to follow us on these platforms is just to, you know, keep in touch. And, like, obviously we'd love it if you'd rate us on iTunes. That helps, too, by, you know, making us one of the top results of someone searching for a horror podcast. It, it helps. That would be nice. Yeah, we'd like just more people to be able to hear. But also, you know, Marshall, one of the reasons I like him as a friend is that he's nice. But also also that he uh, he shows me things I've never seen before. And a lot of times on Facebook, he'll post really fun videos, um, you know, of old horror hosts or, you know, a funny commercial you've never seen or haven't seen for 30 years. He's great in that way. So if you follow us on Facebook, you'll, you'll get treats like that. And that's reason enough for me. All right. Yeah. Thank you. And folks, until uh, next time. Beware the moon. Yeah.